The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, dum-dums? It's hard to believe, but football is back. That means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to man. That's right. I'm talking about my bookie. Sports betting is exploding in popularity because who doesn't like making money? If you want to get into the action with a trusted company that's been around for years, MyBookie is the place for you. It's easy, no hassle, mobile site, 24-7 customer service, and bets on every sport imaginable. MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. I'm too messed up talking about it. If you deposit today with MyBookie, they will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's right. If you put in $100, they will give you $50 for free. That's almost half. So go to MyBookie and sign up today with the promo code ARMCHAIR. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Hey there, Colin. What's up? Well, it's SEC playtime. We're playing South Carolina this week. We are? I hate those bastards. Yeah, we all hate them. It's, uh, it's kind of a rivalry, I guess. Yeah, I went on the, uh, went on the radio, uh, out there in South Carolina for an interview to talk about the Tigers and the Gamecocks. And, uh, yeah, the Gamecocks think they're quite a bit better than the Tigers. Yeah, Rob Sanders, uh, the guy you spoke with at, uh, I think Fox Sports 1400 there in Columbia, South Carolina, he's gonna join me on this show. It's like a circle jerk. Yeah, you know, now he was very complimentary to the Tigers, and, uh, but, uh, you know, his fan base, not so much. <laughs> yeah, it's the SEC. I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah, as we know, there was an article written just this week about how we still don't belong in the SEC. Yeah, I, uh, I mentioned that to him in our interview. It, it's funny, that article, it got some people hot. It made me happy. I enjoyed it because it sort of ticked off every sort of color by number insult of Mizzou you could possibly imagine. Sure. It was very paint by number, but it's mm-hmm. effective still, you know, to to insult us. Did but, they get, did they mention the fact that Colin Kaepernick uh, had a protest on our campus? I think that's how it worked. I don't know. I, it's the uh, the Clay Travis tweets get jumbled in my head. Yeah, <laughs> it was Colin Kaepernick who led some sort of protest on campus a few four years ago. I can't I, remember. I think if you ask most SEC fans, that's exactly how they remember it going. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly it. I think that's fair. So, yeah, so Rob Sanders is going to be on the show with us. Uh, and Blake Topmeyer, you may remember from his time in Columbia. He's, sure. Yeah, he's, so he's the Knoxville News Sentinel beat writer now for the Tennessee Volunteers. Left the press box super fans to go fight crime on his own in another <laughs> town. Meanwhile, back with the press box super friends. He did, and it's a tougher, it's a tougher beat, I would imagine, given the state of the Vols right now. I remember you mentioning to me that he wrote uh, uh, an article that sort of broke news about uh, Tennessee players sort of breaking some rules, and that Tennessee player then got uh, kicked off the team and uh, suspended. They're not mad at the player. No, no, they're not mad at the player for being a criminal. They were mad at the reporter for reporting the news <laughs> reporting about the news. it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's how Tennessee fans work. Kids, if you want to become a journalism uh, major, just remember the pay's not great, and everyone's going to hate you. <laughs> Well, you might never get rich. At least no one will like you. <laughs> that's right. That is exactly right. Yeah, that's the way it goes. But and I think you you know, people may be asking, why did I interview a Tennessee guy before the South Carolina game? I actually in- interviewed him before the SEMO game, but it didn't make sense to drop it in there. And I just wanted to talk to somebody in Vols country to see kind of just for my own joy. How fucking miserable they yeah. were, how much hair they were pulling out, how much, you know, clothes they were ripping off just in misery that they got beat twice in a row by cupcake teams. Let's be honest. Um, you know, the SEC wants Mizzou to have a rivalry with Arkansas. But if Mizzou has a rivalry at this point, it's probably Tennessee. And maybe Tennessee would be insulted by that suggestion. But I think if there's a fan base that our fan base hates more than any other, it is Tennessee. And so it only makes sense that we're going to find out uh, how miserable they are, and roll around it like pigs and shit. <laughs> Colin, it's not a maybe that they would be offended by that. They absolutely would be offended by that. <laughs> 
Yeah. The, the weird thing you know, is a rivalry. A rivalry means that we're kind of you know back and forth with one another. We kind of own Tennessee, so it's not really a rivalry. I mean, we we have our way with them a little too much to really call it a tried true rivalry. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, I guess South Carolina fans could say that about us too, because Barry, Barry Odom's never beaten the Gamecocks zero and three against them, yeah. and uh, last year was an absolute fucking debacle. The gods came down and whipped up a monsoon and forced us to lose that game. We did everything we could do to lose that game last year. But in South Carolina minds, in the fans' minds, I think they clobbered us 58-0. to zero. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's how they remember it. Let's get going to this. Also, um, it's going to be special for me when I see your face and Caleb's face in studio again because we've kind of been bouncing around. You were gone last week, you know, doing God's work for Nick Saban, and uh, Caleb was out the week before getting his new gorilla heart installed. Sure. The team hasn't been together for a long time. No, we, we all keep getting older and keep having more and more responsibilities, and it just gets harder and harder to make this little podcast happen. But by God, here it is. We're going to do it. Let's do it now, Colin. We'll come back after uh, all these fancy interviews with all these people who are smarter than us. Sounds great. M-I-Z. V-O-U. Going to throw it. Slam. This bugs for you, Mizzou. Johnson, and he's gone. It don't get no better than that, man. Tigers trying to turn up the tempo on second and five with a 40. Bryant with the time. The pass is caught. And a touchdown. And Dr. Roundtree running left. It's 35 to the 40. Left sideline around the back of the field. This is the Mazad Cat. Joining us on the program, Rob Sanders from Fox Sports Radio, 1400 in Columbia, South Carolina. Good enough to join us. Thanks, Rob, for being on the show. I will do the best I can to not Kansas it up, my friend. <laughs> that's that's a, a, an informed opinion to know that that is an, a horrible, horrible adjective or a verb to, uh, to Kansas yeah. things. L- listening, listening to your show, I think Kansas is a verb. Yes. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, we've got uh, got an interesting game coming up this weekend, and I think it's an interesting it's an interesting I wouldn't call it rivalry, but a, a pairing between the two Columbias, South Carolina and Missouri. It's always a meaningful game. I think this year, the where it fits in the schedule, it's meaningful for both programs because there seems to be two programs that aren't quite sure where they're headed, and the outcome of this game will definitely close a door or open a door for one of these two teams. What is the general mood like around Columbia, South Carolina about the Gamecocks and their chances this weekend? Well, as far as their chances this weekend, I think there's there's a section of the Gamecock fan base that just thinks that Missouri is almost like Vanderbilt, and they think that they can just roll completely over Missouri, and they're more focused. I think a lot of them are more set on, hey, what's, what's going to be up next week with Kentucky? Uh, because they're trying to break a five-game uh, losing streak to Kentucky, but uh, Gamecock fan base is kind of um, kind of deflated a little bit after the loss to North Carolina. Because Will Muschamp said at the beginning of the season this is going to be his best team of the Will Muschamp era, and then they go out and just get embarrassed by North Carolina, lose their starting quarterback. Uh, they bring in the freshman Halinski. He lights up Charleston Southern. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And then has a, a really good game against Alabama. So there's kind of more of a, some, some optimism there, but you know, you're getting into SEC play now, and uh, we, we'll see how the Gamecocks balance out. Yeah, it's interesting for us because uh, we get compared to Vanderbilt quite often by our new SEC peers. And it's funny because Barry Odom has never beaten South Carolina. I think South Carolina can crow a little bit in the last three years, coming off one of the worst stretches for Missouri after the 2015 protests, uh, been able to reel off some wins, even though last year's win, I think Missouri fans feel like we gifted that game to you guys. Uh, South Carolina won the game, but between the monsoon and Missouri mistakes, uh, South Carolina came out the victor. And, but we look at that, I guess, as a, as a Missouri failure more than a South Carolina victory. It's weird because Missouri fans feel the same way about South Carolina, that we're either on a par or even better. And and I know that South Carolina feels the same way about Missouri. I wonder how this will go over the long term because I think historically South Carolina holds the advantage five to four. They've won the last three. You know, I wonder what 10 years down the road looks like, 15 years down the road looks like for these two programs. I mean, obviously South Carolina was the new guy to the SEC a couple decades ago. They know what it's like. Do you have a sense trying to be non-biased, but being a South Carolina guy as to where these two programs sort of lie in the echelon of college football well i think that for south carolina they would trade having a losing record to mizzou for the fact that mizzou has two sec east championships in their time in the conference whereas the gamecocks have been in since 1992 and they have one sec east championship and they got throttled by auburn so just from the perspective of just the championships in my opinion would mean more to a gamecock fan over the the actual having a winning record over Mizzou. So I, I think that Mizzou has the upper uh, upper end on that. As far as the last three games with, with Mizzou, if you look at the scores, uh, 31-21 in uh, 2016, that game was close. 31-13, the game in South Carolina kind of got away. Last year's game was in a monsoon. I, I don't think that if you get a Gamecock fan and you inject them with some truth serum, I don't think they're going to tell you, my goodness, we are so, so much better than what Mizzou has right now. And I think just the results on the field, especially with those two SEC championships, kind of has Mizzou ahead. I think they've been good games. You know what I mean? I think that, uh, like you mentioned, that 2017 game, South Carolina won that outright, no question. There's been a lot of close games. 2013-2014, the two years that Missouri did go to the, the championship game, Two of the most memorable games were the one they lost in double overtime to South Carolina in 2013, and then the one that they won in 2014 as sort of a revenge game. I like when we play South Carolina, and I never take it for granted, and that plays into this weekend. I mean, I saw a lot of that Alabama-South Carolina game, and for at least a good half, it looked to me like South Carolina gave Alabama everything they wanted. And after your, like you mentioned, that loss to North Carolina, of course, we're dealing with our loss to Wyoming, which was embarrassing. We're not quite sure where to put South Carolina. They look so good against Alabama. You cannot take them for granted. It looks like that offense can move the ball, especially under your new quarterback, Helensky. Yeah, Helensky's done a great job for the Gamecocks, but the Gamecocks season will hinge on not what he can do, but what their secondary can do. Because I think that the Gamecocks, I know Coach Odom kind of put them over a little bit in this press conference earlier this week. But as far as defending the slant, I think they are the worst in the conference. I think that any team that sets up with South Carolina, throw a seven-yard slant, you're going to get 15 yards. If you're Alabama and you have the athletes they have, you're going to get 45 yards. They did that all game uh, last week. The North Carolina quarterback, the young freshman, he did the same thing. And I think that uh, for Missouri to win, they need to take that part of the playbook and say, you know what, Kelly Bryant, 
we're going to go slant left, slant right, slant left, slant right, and then we'll we'll have a couple of uh, runs to keep that defense honest. And I think Missouri will pull away and uh, and win this game big. Wow, I uh, I didn't know what you were going to say about uh, the outcome. I'm I'm surprised to hear that. I guess I think, I mean, obviously Missouri came out as a ten point favorite. I have to think even Missouri fans were thinking, boy, that seems like a lot of points. What about this South Carolina offense? Are you confident in what they can do? We've given up one garbage time touchdown in the last two weeks, but we played teams that were not very good. We gave up a lot of points to a Wyoming on the road. Cale Garrett, Nick Bolton, the middle linebackers from Missouri look good, but do you see opportunities for uh, for this freshman quarterback to uh, to just basically try to outscore Missouri? Well, there are some uh, some good things about the South Carolina offense. Um, obviously, the young quarterback, Halinski, is, is, has done some great stuff. Uh, Kyle Markway is a freshman tight end. Keep your eyes on him if uh, you're watching the game on on Saturday. He's kind of developed into one of Halinski's uh, favorite targets there. But uh, you've got Brian Edwards, who has made his way as a receiver. When he was recruited, he was told, hey, you're going to be a safety. But this guy has uh, developed some hands in his career, and uh, he's playing some really good ball for the Gamecocks. The Gamecocks do have a set of talented running backs with Rico Dowdle, who is a guy that is, is playing out of his mind right now. Mm-hmm. And then behind him, you got Tavian Feaster, who who played at Clemson, and, and it almost has the Kelly Bryant syndrome, meaning – I couldn't quite get into the rotation up there at Clemson, but this guy is ultra, ultra talented. Uh, played the national championship game against Alabama last year and can do some really, really great stuff as far as catching the ball out of the backfield as well. But Dowdle's more of like a power back, but uh, Feaster's kind of more of the speed guy. But um, the Gamecock offensive line, I don't think they have a lot of depth, but their starting five is, is I would say, middle of the road as far as the SEC goes. But uh, they can do some great things on offense. Shy Smith or Trey Smith, the Smith brothers there, they can um, they can catch the ball a little bit as well. But I really like, if you're a South Carolina fan, I like the idea of the two running backs and then the connection between Halinski and Markway, especially on post routes when uh, the Gamecocks get inside the tent. I know that Dowdle really impressed me against Alabama when I saw a couple of runs where he was just moving Alabama defenders and picking up first downs where, you know, he, Bell sh- Wright should have been three yards shy. He just looks like a really strong back and is going to give that line for Missouri a lot of uh, headaches, it looked like to me. I mean, he's, he's an impressive back. He, yeah, he, he really is. And, you know, coming into the season, there was thoughts that he would kind of be pushed to the back with Katie and Feaster coming in, but, He's basically said, you know what, this is my running back room. I'm I'm the senior here. Appreciate what you're help, doing to help us out there, Feaster. But he's led the Gamecocks in rushing and uh, and has done a really, really good job for the Gamecocks. Tell me what the psychology is about facing Kelly Bryant again, but for a different team, facing him against Missouri. Certainly Missouri's not as uh, – not as intimidating as Clemson is, and obviously Clemson's a bigger rival for South Carolina than Missouri is. But there's history there. They know what he's capable of, and they know his flaws and his weaknesses. What is the thoughts about Kelly Bryant? Is there any sort of, like, we want to get you back for Clemson game? Or how are the South Carolina fans digesting the fact that they're playing Kelly Bryant again? Well, I think the fan base kind of, um, there's kind of like a, a, a backdoor thing on Twitter and Facebook and social media about, yeah, we're going to get, uh, we may get this guy finally. Maybe a little bit. I don't think the players actually care. The game against South Carolina that, that Kelly Bryant played, uh, he got in some garbage time in, I think, his, his uh, freshman year. But uh, the one year where he was actually the starter for Clemson, he didn't really put up uh, crazy, crazy numbers. That was more of a game that was won by defense and the running game. And yeah, I think Kelly Bryant's developed more as a player, especially with the downfield throws he can make for Mizzou, but I honestly think that Clemson fans want him to win more than South Carolina fans want to, you know, show him out. I mean, because Clemson fans still have kind of a love affair with Kelly Brown. I mean, he was the chosen one. Deshaun Watson gave him a, gave him the old Twitter kiss there saying, hey, you know what, this is the guy that's going to take Clemson to the promised land. But for some reason, when he was at Clemson, he, he had a lot of problems making down-the-field throws. And, um, and had some questionable decision making and that and you've got Trevor Lawrence pushing you in, in the spring game. And it, it was kind of sad to see that that's how it ended up for Kelly Bryant. But I mean, he, he seems to be doing some great stuff up there for Mizzou. 
Very hopeful for him so far, but I, as I mentioned before, I think this is sort of a fork in the road game for both of these programs. I think, you know, the other than Georgia, the East is sort of wide open. If you beat Missouri, if, if you're South Carolina, then you've got a stretch of games that you can win and have a good record in this conference. Same goes for Missouri. They've got a stretch of winnable games after the South Carolina game, and it'll just be a defining game, I think, for both the programs. And so I'm, I'm reluctant to say anything about Missouri until this game is over because of the weird loss to Wyoming and the blowout win to West Virginia and looking at what South Carolina how they played with Alabama for a long time but lost to North Carolina I wouldn't want to make any bets on South Carolina or Missouri until I saw this game yeah I mean it really in my opinion it's like the old the old uh, wooden fence game I mean you can swing one way or you can swing the other I think a loss here for South Carolina then they're going to start worrying can we beat Kentucky at home next week and then the schedule just gets more and more brutal from there for the Gamecocks because if they lose this game, they may not get a Power 5 win until November. I mean, that's that that's that far out there for them against Vanderbilt. And I would I, I feel comfortable taking them over the Commodores, but mm-hmm. the schedule is kind of brutal for South Carolina. But and with Missouri, if you look at their schedule, and then but, I mean, you guys have the the the, the bowl ban potential hanging over your head too. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, it really, really is a hinge game for for both teams, in my opinion. If the uh, if the worst were to happen, they lose to Missouri, they lose to Kentucky, have a bad season. What do you think that means for uh, Coach Muschamp? What's the uh, feelings about him right now? I know it's still relatively young in his tenure, but in the SEC, uh, you don't get a lot of chances. Well, I think that there's a section of the the Gamecock fan base that is not very happy with with Coach Muschamp, and I think it's going to get more and more, it'll get amped up more and more if he loses some games. The North Carolina game was, in their eyes, a, a complete embarrassment. I think that that has kind of hindered them a little bit as far as their growth, and I think a lot of fans may have turned off a little bit to what Mil- Will Muschamp has been saying because he said at the beginning of the season, hey, this is our best team in our era, then they go out and lose to North Carolina. So I don't think the hot seat will heat up too much, but I think if he loses to Vanderbilt, I mean, loses to uh, Kentucky, then it's like, uh uh-oh. I really think that's kind of the uh uh-oh game for Will Muschamp. All right, Rob Sanders, you can listen to him on Fox Sports Radio 1400, Columbia, South Carolina. I recommend you doing that. You can get it online if you're up here in Missouri, and uh, they've got a lot of good talk about uh, the Gamecocks, and so you can enlighten yourself on what Missouri's opponent's going to be like on Saturday. Thank you again for joining us. As always, I enjoy talking to you, and uh, it's a really interesting pairing, and uh, even though no one cares about the Mayor's Cup, always interesting when Missouri faces South Carolina. If I won the Mayor's Cup, I'd want to take like a drink out of it. I'd, I'd put some soup in it or something. Yeah. But nobody ever talks about doing something cool with the Mayor's Cup. It's just like, eh. Coach Muschamp said that uh, they actually have it like their equipment guys got it in like one of their rooms or whatever. <laughs> but let's make the Mayor's Cup worth a damn. Let's get some soup and put in it or, or you know, I don't know, some Kool-Aid or something. Yeah, let's go you bourbon. cool with the Mayor's Cup, man. That's what I'm saying. It needs a shot in the arm. I'll be honest. Nobody ever cares about the Mayor's Cup in either town. I don't know if the mayors even know about it. I, I think Mayor Benjamin down here does, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but I, I want to I make the Mayor's Cup worthwhile. It should have some dents in it or something. I agree. It needs some character. <laughs> I agree. And I appreciate you having me, buddy. All right. Thanks again, Rob. All right, guys. Have a good day. Just a little bit south of North Carolina That's where I long to be in a little brown shack in South Carolina Someone waits for me In each letter she says that the weather is fine And the folks are feeling great That the garden looks grand And the red rose vine is clinging to the gate Just a little bit south of North Carolina That's where my thoughts all stray Okay, this is what you tune in for every week. Caleb Bungart makes his picks and gets you rich. It's time once again for Caleb the Green Pick of the Week. When you see that Vegas line, you want to make your wallet fat. All the boys and girls like they want to get them some of that. It's the bearded lady pleaser. It's the best picks of the week. All you sons of bitches get rich with the man. Caleb the Greek, Caleb the Greek. Caleb the Greek, Caleb the Greek. Caleb, 
What do you got this week? Oh, I've got four games for you. Three of them in the SEC, and then uh, I've got a little off track on the end. But uh, we're going to start off with the big game of the week, Notre Dame and Georgia. Marquee matchup. Yeah. You and I, just, we discussed this one the other day. Line was 13 and a half, Georgia. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, take Georgia on this one because Notre Dame has never proven, at least in the last 20 years, that they can beat a top five team by anything, by anything close. Rudy was offside. You're okay with two touchdowns. Two touchdowns, absolutely. Big spreads don't scare Caleb. SEC speed, it just means more. <laughs> Bold pick, I like it because I just think Notre Dame, and I'm the same as you, they just have never done anything in 25 years. So, Okay, yes, yeah, so uh, you've got Georgia and uh, two touchdowns to uh, cover the coin, the Kansas coin from 2005. It will have Georgia as heads, Notre Dame as tails, and the coin also likes Georgia. You guys didn't agree one time last week, and already the coin has changed its ways. The coin got me last week. I went two and three, so that means the coin went three and two. But overall, I've got the coin this year. So anyway, we're, I'm trying to get way back ahead at this point. All righty. So- All right, standing at SEC, LSU, 19.5-point favorite over the Vanderbilt Commodore. Anchor down. I believe LSU goes into Nashville and wins by 30. LSU to pour it on. I think that's a safe bet. Uh, LSU has never looked stronger at offense, and Vanderbilt is as weak as I've seen them since we've been in the SEC. So uh, if you're going to take a big spread, this is the one to do it. There's going to be a murder in Nashville. Let's see if the coin agrees with that. Uh, we're going to have the heads be LSU, tails be Vanderbilt. And the coin thinks Vandy can cover. So there will be some discrepancies between you and the coin this week. Well, good. Well, we got two more games left. Hopefully we don't agree on those two. And I thought I had more SEC, but I scratched it out. I switched over to uh, Pac-12 for this one. Utah, USC. And everybody's uh, darling USC lost last week. They're playing Utah, which I've watched a couple games of. I think they're a really good team. Utah is a three-point favorite. I think Utah covers those three points. All right. I I don't have anything to say about this one because I don't have a fucking clue about any Pac-12 team. Uh, Well, you know, I'm going to say because you don't stay up at midnight to watch college football, and and that's not a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess there are healthy limits to your fandom. Utah, I get them confused with BYU for some reason, and uh, it just makes me think about Tennessee getting beat by BYU and just made me happy. It's got a warm feeling thinking about it. Balls. Yeah, all right. The coin uh, will have Utah as heads and USC as tails. And the coin likes USC. So two disagreements so far out of three. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, last game, 2017 football national champions UCF playing Pitt. UCF is a 12 and a half point favorite. I'm going to stick with all favorites. Like a best of album, it's all favorites. Say they cover that 12 and a half point. All right, you got you like all the big favorites this week. Well, let's see the coin is going to have UCF as heads and Pitt as tails. And it also likes UCF. Two, four, and two against you is the coin this week, Caleb. Interesting. It'll be interesting that uh, all the big, big spreads, all the blowout games, uh, you expect them to hold. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to hear the tales from Colin about uh, his trip to Bangkok. Yeah, um, it's going to be a make exciting weekend. It will be a big weekend for Mizzou football, and it should provide us a shitload to talk about. The voicemails will be pretty good if we lose. But I still kind of prefer a win. I, I didn't. I did enjoy that article that uh, was posted on the Mazadcast Twitter from the South Carolina writer today. That guy's brutal. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. That uh, was. It was just like it was deliberately aimed at uh, Mizzou fans just to piss us off. It is a great troll job. Don't feed the trolls. Yeah, I can't imagine working for a newspaper, even though you cover 
the local team and being that trolly. But he did a great job. I hope Barry Odom puts it up on the old bulletin board before the game. He should. He should. (laughs) Thanks again for another round of Kill of the Green Pick of the Week. Gonna watch his boys play ball today Over 17, 18 bears Got an ashtray full of GPCs Got stained up fingertips But fellas like old Jimmy here Is the best they got to give It's a great butt plug of Dixieland Same damn song by the same old band Half with checkered overalls Tennessee can lick my ball. Well, the boys just got the brains kicked in that gum, that forward pass. So we found some kid on a message board gonna threaten to whoop his kid ass. But it's all downhill from Jimmy here, that short-term memory loss. By Monday, he's the most trouble-free fella that you run across. It's a great butt plug of Dixieland Same damn song by the same old man Spit can swig in melon balls Tennessee can lick my balls There's a tooth in his head for every win they're gonna get on Saturday There's a whisker on his chin for every poor star kid that they're gonna have to pay It's a great butt plug of Dixieland Same damn song by the same old band Burned out muffler mating calls Tennessee can lick my balls City of Knoxville Lick my balls Dollar tablecloth looking in zone Lick my balls Smokey the blue tick hound Lick my balls Tennessee can lick my balls Joining us now from the Knoxville News Sentinel, Blake Topmeyer, who covers the Tennessee Volunteers, is joining us. Blake, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, the reason we wanted to talk to you is the uh, the state of the Tennessee Volunteers. They're currently sitting at 0-2 after a couple of very bad losses. You know, Tennessee seems to be one of those programs that is, we always joke, is ever resurgent. This is the year for Tennessee. This is the year. And I don't think people are saying this was going to be the year for Tennessee, but certainly a lot of people felt Jeremy Pruitt has the team trending in the right direction. And thus far, now it's starting to look like, will Pruitt even survive this season? What is going on in Knoxville? Yeah, it's really curious because, like you said, after last season, I think the Tennessee felt like it had some momentum behind it, had that upset win over Auburn and, and Kentucky, and then certainly was terrible down the stretch against Missouri and Vanderbilt. But I think that got overlooked a little bit because first season had a couple more marquee victories and, and we're bringing a lot of talent back this year. And then uh, kind of an inexplicable start out of the gate has sort of changed the narrative a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think there is a couple things. One, I think maybe the losses Tennessee experienced on defense uh, were perhaps a little bit underplayed uh, throughout the offseason. This was a group that on offense brought a lot back, but on defense had lost uh, a lot of starters. And then uh, a few more guys that would have been starters went down uh, during the preseason to injuries uh, plus a key suspension. Uh, so defensively, they've sort of been a mess. And perhaps we should have seen this coming a little bit more than we did. Offensively, it's maybe even more puzzling because I, th- I think there's been undeniable regression in quarterback Jared Garantano. This is a guy now with 20 career starts. You know, I don't think coming into the season anyone would say this guy's a great quarterback, one of the best in the SEC, but I think you could fairly make the argument that he was a solid enough guy to, uh, to win six, seven games with this season, and, and he just really has struggled in the first two games of the season, particularly in that BYU game. Yeah, it it has been troubling for Vols fans for sure. I think the rest of the SEC East, which is, 
I think at this point it's pretty much Georgia and everybody else, uh, although Florida, you know, is coming off of a 10 win season. They're kind of breathing a sigh of relief that Tennessee is kind of off the list of people you got to worry about after this. Do you think that's true? Do you think that, that Tennessee is going to be, end up being a bottom of the pack team in the SEC East this year? Or do you think that, that they can write this ship with a, with a schedule of SEC East teams that should be winnable, but, but are they now? Somewhere in between, I'd say. Like, I mean, I think there's some fans out there that are at this point pretty concerned about a two and 10 season. And I can understand why that's the case. I mean, that's, now, forget this is a team that just a couple weeks ago lost to Georgia State. That being said, I, I don't see it getting that extreme. I think it's kind of a twofold situation. I think the East is weak enough, and I think Tennessee still has enough talent to where it can win a couple conference games. But is it going to finish in the middle of the pack in the East? Probably not. I mean, I think Tennessee's reality is another season where it's going to be uh, down toward the bottom of the East. I, I think, you know, you look at game against Vanderbilt, uh, possibly being a chance they can win, although Vanderbilt's won three in a row against Tennessee. Uh, but I think Vanderbilt post Kyle Shermer is, is a different situation. Uh, Kentucky, obviously, just losing Terry Wilson. Maybe there's an opportunity there. You know, the Vols get South Carolina at home. Maybe an opportunity there. So I think there's enough chances of toss-up games that they're going to win a couple in the SEC. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, getting all the way back to uh, talking about six, seven wins, which is, uh, I think, kind of the ballpark number coming into the season, it's really just hard to see how Tennessee is going to get to that point, even if they become the team that I think a lot of us thought they were going to be this year. Uh, that still leaves the fact that I think most people were counting Georgia State and BYU as victories. So, you know, even if they kind of bounce back here and, become more of that team, I still don't see a real great path to uh, six-plus victories. What is the attitude amongst Vols fans now for Jeremy Pruitt? I mean, looking from a distance, you see the history of Butch Jones and optimism about his recruiting, and then, of course, the the seasons continue to get worse and worse, and then, of course, all his his gaffes with his mouth, and then you even see Jeremy Pruitt making weird references to the Titanic now, it seems to be mirroring the Butch Jones era, and people had a lot of high hopes for Pruitt. How are they feeling right now? It's kind of split down the middle. Uh, I think the the group that is in the fire Pruitt camp is probably loudest as these things tend to go, uh, but it's not quite, uh, I shouldn't even say not quite, it's not even close to a replica yet of 2017 where by the time you meet, reach the middle of that season, Tennessee fans were just so over Butch Jones that you would have been hard-pressed to find one that wanted Butch Jones to remain the coach at that point. Here, it's it's kind of split down the middle. I, I think there are certainly uh, a growing crowd that is in the fire Pruitt and or really concerned about whether Jeremy Pruitt's the guy camp. But I think you probably have just as many on the other side who still uh, believe that, now maybe that belief's been shaken a little bit, but they still believe Pruitt's the guy. Um, or at the very least, they realize that uh, firing someone after two seasons kind of puts you in a pickle. Uh, I think it makes it hard to recruit the next coach when the last guy, if you were to fire him after two seasons. And then on top of that, Tennessee's paying Butch Jones buyout money until February of 2021. Mm. Um, Jeremy Pruitt is under contract for four seasons after this one. To fire Pruitt and his staff at the end of this season, it would cost Tennessee about $20 million. Uh, so realistically, um, you know, I mean, I just, uh, it's hard to envision a way where Jeremy Pruitt is not Tennessee's coach in 2020. Uh, and I think that would be fair. I mean, firing a coach after two seasons is getting pretty extreme. I always thought 2020 was really the critical year for how Jeremy Pruitt's tenure will go here. That being said, I mean, he's got to win some games. You go 2-10 and 10 this year, um, then I think maybe all bets are off. Well, their uh, hiring process when they got Pruitt was famously a debacle. You know, Philip Fulmer... I don't know what his relationship is with Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know what uh, Tennessee fans think of the, the dynamic of the front office of the athletic department. Team gets a reputation for firing a guy after two years. That limits the pool of people who want to come and try. Tennessee has all the resources of a top-notch program. Why has it been so difficult to turn this thing around? Because it's going on for a pretty long time now. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question. If you answered that, you'd have Philip Fulmer's job right now. And and I think they're asking the the same questions in you know Nebraska and Miami and uh, USC and and the same types of things. You know, why why do these programs that uh, seem to have the pieces in place to uh, you know be continually good year in and year out uh, not become that? And I think I mean probably the biggest thing is coaching. I mean, you look back at. I mean, jury's, jury's still out on Jeremy Pruitt. Obviously, has, has not been a great, I mean, that's an understatement. It's been a bad start to the season. Uh, the jury's still out on him. But you, you go back to the, the previous coaching hires. I mean, a really young Lane Kiffin was only here for a year. That was just kind of a, a disaster scenario, I think, the way that unfolded. And then, uh, Derek Dooley, uh, I think most would agree was probably a bad hire, not ready for that position. Uh, Butch Jones, uh, was, was in the biggest role of his life, you know, coming from a, uh, some success at the group of five level, but then stepping into the, to the SEC. And so I just, you know, when you start to look around at some of the coaching hires other power programs have made, uh, I mean, Ohio State was out getting Urban Meyer. Texas A&M was out getting Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Tennessee has not been willing to pony up and, and make the commitment to go get a coach like that. Uh, doesn't mean they still can't find someone or that Pruitt can't be the guy to do this. But, I, I mean, I think the quickest way to sort of, when your program's down, to fast-track success or to accelerate it is to, you know, open up the purse strings and really spin and get yourself an established name. Now, the problem with that is, you know, there's probably only 10 guys in college football uh, that would would make that type of difference, and five of them probably aren't going anywhere. Before I let you go, the whole situation in Knoxville kind of leads me to think about recruiting because while the wins have not been there, even during the Butch Jones era, the recruiting rankings for Tennessee and the, the caliber of guys that were coming to this program were high and are high. And then you see some of these guys revalued in their senior year or, or three or four years later, and you see that they have not developed or they have not turned into the players that they were hoped to be. It, I guess that speaks to coaching, but how does that sort of disconnect between having a good recruiting class and just never being able to turn it into a good team? Is that something especially that affects Tennessee, or is that just, you know, the luck of recruiting that nobody knows the secret to? Well, I think there is some fair criticism toward Butch Jones in that respect. Like, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any debate he was able to recruit talent, but I think it is fair to criticize him. And I think really one of the biggest reasons for his downfall at Tennessee was his inability to get the most out of that talent that he recruited. And I think there was the belief that Jeremy Pruitt could be different, could be that guy. Uh, we shall see. I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's probably a half dozen true freshmen on this roster this year that could be really good football players. Uh, I mean, one of their best player already two games into the season is a true freshman running back, Eric Gray. Uh, Henry Toa Toa is a linebacker who's uh, a true freshman who leads the team in tackles. Like, I think there are some freshmen on this roster right now who could become Pretty, pretty good football players, uh, and are already starting to show those signs. He's got to recruit more of those guys, uh, because I don't know that he's recruiting at, at as high of level as Butch was. I would say he probably isn't. Um, but I do think he does have the ability, uh, to maybe develop some of these guys. What hasn't really happened is you haven't seen any of the holdovers from the Butch era, uh, really take off under Jeremy Pruitt. That, that's a concern to me as well, is that, he really wasn't able to get any more out of those guys than what Butch Jones's staff is, uh, and so then perhaps you could say, well, maybe those players uh, weren't weren't as good as the recruiting ranking suggested they were. Uh, but I do think, uh, you know, assuming that Pruitt is still around in 2020, which I think, like I said, shy of this thing just really uh, becoming a disaster of the season, and I know it's shaping up that way. But I think he's going to be the guy still in 2020. He needs to stack a good recruiting class here, and that's going to be a challenge if this becomes a a poor season, uh, but he has to do it because I, I mean, that's the only way he's going to be able to stick around and make this thing work. Uh, because I do think there are some, some good freshmen, uh, that he signed in last year's class. Last thing I'm going to ask you, Blake, we're recording this on Thursday, September 12th, the magic of the space time continuum of podcasting. This will likely drop on Saturday game day. Is there any chance that Tennessee goes 0 and 3 or is that completely outlandish? <laughs> 
Well, I, I went on a radio show before the Georgia State game and said, is there any chance uh, Tennessee loses to Georgia State? And I said, no chance. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, then I went back on that radio show the following week, and they played back that clip for me. Sure. Uh, it's nice of them. Nice. Uh, but, no, no chance they lose to Chattanooga. Uh, Chattanooga's got a, a good quarterback, a transfer, uh, who started his career at Mississippi State. So I think they got a little bit more talent there than a lot of FCS schools uh, might be able to boast. But, overall, you know, I think this should be a, a multiple touchdown, three, four touchdown victory for Tennessee, a chance to build confidence going into the swamp. Uh, but then it becomes you're in the gauntlet, gauntlet of SEC play, and there's such a hard opening slate there for, for Tennessee with uh, Florida followed by Georgia, and then Alabama's not far away. And I do think the schedule lightens up a little bit at the end, but, like, if Tennessee starts the season one and six, one and seven, you know, where's where's the mindset of this team going to be at at that point? So it's it's uh, going to be really tough going here for Tennessee going forward, which magnifies uh, those losses in the first two games. They were those were games Tennessee really needed to win this season uh, for their hopes of a bowl game. Blake Topmeyer, Knoxville News Sentinel. Thanks for coming in and telling us a little bit about the situation in Knoxville with the zero and two Volunteers and what they're looking like with uh, Jeremy Pruitt at the helm in twenty nineteen. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. I seen rocky mountains and great lakes I stood beneath a redwood tree But wherever I go my heart aches For a place called Tennessee Flows like wine And the meth labs are divine Oh, I want to be Where the sweet tobacco grows And it's picked by poor Negroes In Tennessee It's a place where dueling banjos play And the mountain folk run free Where all the children can spell KKK But cannot spell Tennessee Every cheek is filled with chew And no one's ever seen a Jew Oh, I want to be Where the hot dogs are deep fried That's the reason Elvis died Tennessee
cup And all the dentists just gave up Oh, come with me In my flatbed pickup truck It's where the classy ladies fuck in Tennessee have it rob sanders actually says he thinks mizzou could win big yeah like i said talking to him on the radio he seemed like a sensible person yeah <laughs> uh, which is probably why he has a gig on the radio and not the uh, toothless yokels who scream into their phones about how awful mizzou is uh, yeah. you know what i mean that's probably why he's where he's at and where they're at yeah i listened to the episode of his show where you were on and then i kept listening because i was curious to see what those south carolina fans were going to say and the general reaction was that they were appalled that we would be nine and a half ten point favorites that vegas obviously is trying to insult the great state of south carolina by putting those odds out (laughs) has nothing to do with money and also it was hard to hear them because of all the jug blowing going on in the background well this is a state where people like mitch mcconnell so, I mean, you can say their judgment might be a little off. Yep, and uh, when you get done drinking out of that jug, you can always use it as a musical instrument. You betcha. Well, and uh, Caleb, had he was a little light on picks this week, but I'm sure they're all going to be winners. Sure. He was really downtrodden last week because the coin beat him three games to two. He takes it serious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had lunch with him yesterday. I could tell he was in the dumps about it. Some would say he takes it too serious, Colin. Well, I think part of the reason he's, he's burning through these real hard today terrifying rate is that he's just stressed out by his picks. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he burns up gorilla hogs as fast as they can sew them into his chest. Here. Yeah, I mean, his uh, his Harambe heart lasted longer than anybody <laughs> thought it would. But, uh, you know, the, there's not many gorillas left in the mist. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to have to... He's going <laughs> to have to... Every last one of them that takes Caleb on this planet <laughs> doing this podcast. What a lot of people don't realize is for Caleb to acquire a gorilla heart... The gorilla doesn't have to just be put down and killed and has his heart extracted. For some reason, they uh, they also torture the gorillas. That seems strange. doesn't make sense to me, but <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not going to argue with doctors. No. I'll tell you this, Brendan. I will murder every gorilla on this blue earth if that's what it takes to keep Caleb alive. <laughs> oh, don't get that's me wrong. I hope I get to. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I do the same. What I want to know is why they have to taunt and then torture the gorillas first before they murder them. Listen, I'm not going to ask questions. They're obviously scientists. They're, they're, they're professionals. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. He has been eating a lot of peanuts lately. Yeah. Bananas seem to be really high on the list of things he likes right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really appreciate how he's picked all the ticks out of my hair. <laughs> same. Same here. <laughs> I'm going to mention that, though, the strange thing is... With his obsession with bananas, it's not that he's eating them, it's that he's using them as suppositories. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's strange to you, but to Caleb, it makes all the sense in the world. Well, again, I won't argue with a professional. Okay, well, I think we've gone off the rails, and that's the time when we need to wrap badly, these things up. Sadly, gone off the rails. <laughs> well, if you wanted to hear about South Carolina football and monkey torture, then you've got the show <laughs> right here. We're the place to come. <laughs> we, we should probably put that in fine print under the logo now. Come to the Mazodcast for football talk and monkey torture talk. Come for the football talk. Stay for the monkey torture. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's wrap this up. We got uh, business to do. See you Saturday, Colin. M I C. All right. See you.